the basement where nerdiness thrives and grown men rant about toys. <laughs> crazy because uh, we have who would have ever thought that Bill and Ted 3 would take better care of its uh, characters story and uh, overall legacy than Clerks fucking 3 right right <laughs> like the word that kept coming to my mind was genuine you know even Clerks 3 which I was a little more lenient on um, there's still moments that feel kind of like jerked, knee-jerked, if you will. This, everything kind of like fell into place. Like, I just kind of felt like it was all genuine. And it wasn't like schmaltzy heartfelt. Everything just came naturally from the heart. I was like, this feels like naturally where these characters would go. And all the new characters rocked. Yeah, there was no, um... Uh, nothing felt forced. Uh, even, even the, 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 the stuff... The nostalgic stuff wasn't forced, uh, and I like that it didn't rely too heavy on that. It's weird because the the first movie is your average kind of 80s slacker comedy, but then at the same time, it is absolutely nothing like your average slacker 80s comedy. It's got and, a wild premise. Yeah, and that's what makes it memorable, and that's what makes it so loved. And then the sequel, Bogus Journey, like I said, how do you make a sequel to a movie like that? And somehow they figured it out, they made it, and Bogus Journey, to me, is even better than the first one. And progresses things forward, builds on the lore, it does everything a great sequel should do. And it goes, it goes batshit. It, it is one of the most unpredictable uh, franchises um, out there, like who'd have thought that a sequel would involve them going to heaven and going to hell, and you know, robots and shit, and then even it with is like this weird juxtaposition between like reality, like their version of reality, and fantasy. Like the mundane is so like the way it's designed when they're in San Dimas is so like like colorful mundane, you know what I mean? But, like, there's just this weird no-rules attitude to the whole series. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's almost like The Wizard of Oz. Like, when... <laughs> <laughs> when they're there at home, everything's pretty normal. It's all pretty average. Uh, but then, all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, boom, crazy shit be going down. Boom, station. Yeah, station. And, um... 
And with this one, I had, you know, absolutely no kind of predictions for this movie. I had I had things that I would have hoped to see, and I actually believe that all of that um, did come to fruition, uh, and then some. This it's a movie that delivers, and it doesn't feel like a cash grab because it still has that low-budget feel, which is admirable in some places, and then I have some nitpicks in other areas, but the shortcomings of the budget don't outweigh just, again, that pureness that, again, it just feels like a real sequel. It doesn't feel like a reboot, even though it's playing with reboot elements, like we're going to introduce the kids, yeah. we're going to do like, um, a little bit of the first plot again. They kind of uh, mishmashed Bogus Journey and... Um, an excellent adventure together, but not in a way that, again, felt forced or... Yeah, uh, like, it's definitely not a repeat. Um, it's like a album. Yeah, it's like they... It's like a Greatest Hits album. They they take slight elements and slight uh, ideas, but completely run in an opposite direction from it, you know? Instead of uh, picking up historical figures for a you know, uh, a history report at school, they're picking up some of the most influential musicians of all time, and uh, so they can use that to help make one of the... In their life, basically. Mm -hmm. And then they... The only reason they go to hell is because, you know, we've got to... Number one, we have to foreshadow the return of death, and we have to get back to death. Uh, so all that's really cool, and I like that they the robot, the robot, um, the robot does not look like it's almost like robot technology in the future went backwards. Yeah, it went <laughs> Robocop. Yeah, like because in, in Bogus Journey, um, the original robots just look like normal Bill and Ted. You know, wouldn't nobody ever notice a difference. Uh, but now this, now this robot, straight up, fucking robot. <laughs> he looks like something out of Dragon Ball Z, basically. He has yeah. this damn, like, cooler. He looks like a giant refrigerator, basically. Yeah. So, like we always do, uh, we ask you guys uh, what you thought of the movie and that we'd read out your comments on the show. And we got a few responses um, a buddy, uh, Philip Parks, says, I thought the movie was good. Buff, Bill, and Ted were hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that, that was great. <laughs> I would say that was my favorite iteration of them, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then Lacey Lou from Cut to the Chase podcast says, We both loved it. Talking about her and Dan, I'm sure. Uh, we <laughs> both loved it. Had a lot of heart and a great message. Only seen it once, but now I want to go rewatch it, LOL. I am going to say, Lacey, that it is, like, this was my reaction. It's kind of how I felt with Ghostbusters Afterlife, but, like, a million times more. Oh, it's yeah. so much better on a rewatch. Like, I enjoyed it the first time around, but kind of when you're getting a new movie in a franchise that hasn't been around for a while, your mind is kind of in two different spots. You're looking to enjoy it, but you're also kind of like, oh, I hope I enjoy it. You're kind of in an analytical mode. I enjoyed it, so now, just looking back on it, giving it some time, it fits right in. It's a good hangout movie. You could sit back, and you can enjoy it, and again, just, it feels right. It feels in place with the rest of the movies, despite the technological upgrades, for better or for worse. 
And what's funny is that um, just continuing with the uh, the comment section, Dan Chase followed up right after. Yeah. Um, and so before I get to Dan Chase, Heath Williamson posted a GIF of um, <clears throat> Mr. Burns off of The Simpsons saying, Excellent. Uh, and then we got Dan Chase. Dan Chase says, uh, I really dug it. I do wish the song was better and a little more fleshed out. And we definitely need more Rufus references. Love the Dave Grohl scene. Wish they really swung for the fence, though. Doubling down on the end nostalgia would have really worked for this one. But it was still great. I'm kind of in the middle on that take where I feel like it was... Balanced. I feel like things weren't, again, the low budget kind of doesn't make it feel cash grabby because it doesn't feel like this was a studio project, more so. These writers and uh, Alex Winter have been trying to get it made for years, actually. Yeah. Um, a long time. And really, you could we could think the, uh, the current state of film right now where everyone is doing legacy sequels like this for letting the ball get rolling on this movie. And, and especially... Huh? Pretty much. And getting Keanu Reeves involved, because I feel like without the social media buzz, like, he might have come back, but, it like, maybe let's say he wanted to come back. There's also agents involved. There's people that's like, you're John Wick, you're this A-lister now, maybe kind of like almost a Bill Murray Ghostbusters situation, holding him back. Um, so I think after, like, the fans said, like, hey, they're working on it, we want it too. Like, I think Keanu Reeves was, like, the cat in the bag, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, once they had him, they're like, we're going for it. Yeah, it's definitely, because Keanu has always wanted to make another one, but he's always been busy. But I do think that right now he's, like, a massive star, uh, especially in the past 15 years or so. Like, he has blown up. Uh you know, and I think with him being blown up and so so far in the zeitgeist right now that um, I think that helped. You know, he back in the day, who who would have ever thought Keanu Reeves would be such a A-list actor? Uh, I take it so seriously. Yeah, because like John Wick is not like a a crazy like um, like it's not a Shakespearean performance by any stretch of the imagination. But he's a badass, and he does convey the more dramatic scenes. Um, like, better than you would expect, especially in that first one. And then I think also just through interviews, through fans getting a deeper glimpse into his life and what he's been through, you know what I mean? He's really drifted away from the woe dude stereotype, you know what I mean? So it is odd, um, but also welcome to see him jump back into it. I don't think he brought back the upbeat energy 100%, but I think it worked for this older Bill. He's not a uh, Ted, actually. He's not melancholy, but he's kind of like a bittersweet Ted in this movie, which is interesting. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is cool. Uh, Ted Ted is a little more beat down, and Bill is very much more um, we need to do this. Uh, Alex Winter fell right back into the part pretty damn easy, it seems. Yeah, for sure. It's like he's just been waiting for it. And Omar Especially for somebody who hasn't really acted in many, many years, you know. He's been, yeah. he's mostly a behind-the-camera guy. Nonsense Freaked, which, you know, I was about to say, we're probably never going to see this, but, like, let's get a Freaked reboot going. Yeah. Come on. 
Just or, not CD. Let's just really, like Dan Chase said, let's swing for the fence. Yeah, hell yeah. So, let's go ahead and start the movie. Let's start the review here. Uh, I love that this movie starts off with the old school Orion logo. Right? <laughs> like... And- it's like you just rented it from uh, from fucking Blockbuster or something. Right, like film grain and all, man. I'm like, this right here, this is, we're going there, man. <laughs> on a side story, and I'm not sure if I told this on the podcast before, but have you ever watched UHF with, like, the commentary from Weird Al? No, I've never seen it with the commentary. Right at the beginning is the Orion logo, and... He's just born to make parodies, man. He parodies the Orion logo. He's like, Orion is bankrupt now. <laughs> and that's how it begins. Oh, shit. Um, they're, back. they're back, baby. So we get, uh, we get a little quick expedition dump, um, as we should, um, with Bill and Ted's daughters telling us what's going on. And what's really funny is they're like, yeah, this was the first time you saw him, and it's like old old footage from the first movie, and then she's like, and this is probably the last time you saw them, and it's showing us, you know, the ending of Bogus Journey, and I'm like, what do you mean probably? That was the last time we saw them. <laughs> Literally the last time. Cut to credits. <laughs> um, so this movie did have to uh, do some retconning, some probably you know, pretty serious retconning, but not too serious, I mean, because even at the original, you know, Bogus Journey, it is a pretty definitive ending, during the uh, Kiss song at the end, it's showing up this montage of uh, how Bill and Ted's music has saved the world and all this, so they have to pretty much ignore all that, they gotta kind of retcon all that, really the only thing that it does seem to uh, keep in continuity is the fact that, um, uh, Death Went Solo. Yeah, there is still a little bit of that end credit in there where, for a moment, like in a, in a uh, I don't even want to say metaphorical, but for a moment, it's like when Metallica changed the world, one of those VH1 documentaries. You know what I mean? It's like they were a fad, like they really, uh, they, they hit big for a time. And then I love during the opening montage, you see like the 99 cent sticker get slapped <laughs> onto one of their albums. Yeah. That was a great gag. Uh, but there's actually an interesting story behind why they did this. Because it's a retcon technically, but not real, not creatively. Because that whole end credit montage in Bogus Journey was not in the script. That was an editor's edition. Just to fill in the end credits, funny gags. We're going to have them, like, what is there, a cutaway where they're shaking hands with the president or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, okay. So we could assume maybe they did all that, maybe they didn't. This movie does play around with alternate timelines a little bit. It sure does. Uh, but it wasn't the writer's intention. They actually, again, they've been trying to work on a third one for forever. Uh, when they saw that in the theaters, uh, the writers were like, damn, that really just like douses our ideas for a third one. How are we going to get around that? <laughs> so it wasn't their idea. It yeah. was meant to be something you don't even really think about, but... Now, here we are with the third one. You do have to think about it a little bit. Hey, didn't they go to the moon? Didn't Death have, like, oh, my God, I know this is a reference from this movie, but didn't he have, like, 40-minute bass solos or something? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, 
And I remember when this movie was coming out, and they announced the uh, the the ladies playing Theodora and Billy. Uh, I remember a, a handful of people were outraged, but I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. You know, they don't say whether or not they're boys or girls uh, when they show the children. You know, they're freaking babies. And they write it away. They're like, remember when you used to call them Little Bill and Little Ted? It's because they acted like Bill and Ted. You know? Yeah, I mean, and plus they're, they're straight up technically named after them any damn way. Billy and, and Theodora, so... Yeah, and isn't it... Um, didn't they, like, reverse it, though? Like, isn't Ted's uh, daughter's name... I got them mixed up a little bit. Didn't they do that gag where the names are technically swapped? Or am I just uh, mixing shit up? Yeah, um... Like, but, I think Ted's daughter is Billy, right? Yeah, it's weird, because in, in this movie, I really don't know if it's too clear. Because, <laughs> I mean, both of them just say dads. I was just about to say that. Yeah, it's like they're just a unit. They're like a hive mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, one of them did say, call him Uncle Ted, da-da-da-da-da, but I can't remember which one said it. Um, but, uh... So, yeah, a fun little expedition bit at the beginning. Uh, Can I also say on a side note, because I did make this um, a note later on, but you hit on a good thing there, where people were outraged that they had daughters. Once you actually watch the movie, if anybody tries to, like, spin, like, some kind of agenda on it, like, it's such a genuine and wholesome movie that it's, like, it's not even really thinking like that. Like, yeah, they just happen to be daughters. Even at the end, there's, like, you guys weren't backing us, we're backing you. Um, if anybody complains about that, it's like that's such a non-issue where it's like musicians, artists, like a lot of people, most people, um, get inspiration from their children from time to time. You know what I mean? Listen yeah. to the latter Cranberries album since they just had those re-releases of the, uh, of the demos. I was thinking of that. Half the later Cranberries albums are like odes to her kids. There is that effect in people where it's like, hey, um, you may not like it or not, but they do bring a certain energy or they bring back a certain um, flair in their parents. Yeah. You know, if the relationship is right enough and they are a tight family unit. You know, I was going to make a joke with the um, with the therapy sessions where it's like Bill and Ted basically want to be in a quad relationship, but they just don't want to say it. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Um. That's what it is. Like, I'm not trying to be... It's like, they are too innocent to find the word for it, but it's like, that's what they... Like, it's... There's not enough people to be a polycule, but it's like, they want to be a quad. <laughs> a quubble. A quubble, yes. Yes. A quubble through time. That's going to be the sequel. Somebody did make a YouTube comment that I fucking loved. Um, might not be a... a a good title for a Bill and Ted sequel, but somebody said uh, Bill and Ted Four: The Brides of Denomalos. Huh. I, you know, I if they do decide to do one more, they probably won't. I would be welcome to see more Bill and Ted adventures, maybe another animated series. You know. Yeah, they did say a fourth one would be up to the fans, and if they want to see uh, Billy and Theodora have an adventure or something, but I'm like, yeah, let, let's leave it at this. Let's leave it at this. It does yeah. kind of close the book on here. I know we don't have Alanis Morissette as God to, like, really come in and close the book, and it's not like that really changed anything anyway. 
But, <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like a really good ending to the Bill and Ted. It, like, it feels good as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And so they they mention, you know, yeah, they didn't... They're still trying to work on the song. This beginning is the most perfect-ass beginning. They're at a wedding with Missy. Already, like. Missy is now getting married to Ted's younger brother, Deacon. And <laughs> it is too fucking perfect. Uh, you know, in the first movie, there were all the jokes about Bill's dad being married to Missy, this young lady. Uh, and then in the second one, she divorces Bill's dad and marries Ted's dad. Now she is getting married to Ted's brother. It is too damn fucking hilarious. And I don't know why the writers, like, intended to make this character so fucking weird. But you're, it's just so hilarious. Um, and they have this weird monologue where they're like, oh, you know, they basically go through what you were just going through, which is good for, again, like, She used to be our babysitter. Then we asked her to the prom. <laughs> then she married Bill's dad. And, and, and now, you know, Ted's dad is technically his stepson. You know, it's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> oh, shit. Too damn good. Too damn good. So, That's we get... A bit of an Dump, but again, it feels natural. It feels just like, hey, you know, there does need to be some explanations here when you set up such a weird scenario. And what we were going with with uh, Keanu Reeves' reputation recently is this does kind of reintroduce Bill and Ted to a new generation without feeling like a reboot. Yeah. Even the opening monologue, like the daughters are technically the narrators, but not really. They're like the bookends. Yeah. And it's the most simple, this is what happened you're good. Like, it doesn't take a lot to understand, like, who Bill and Ted are, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, They're, like, slightly smarter Beavis and Butthead. Mm-hmm. And so, I really think it's cool. Yeah, the, another little joke, Deacon is now a police officer. Um, yeah. Just like his dad. So there was a lot of, there was already, at the very beginning of this movie, there was already a lot of thought put into it. We have the original dad there. We have the original Missy there. Like, how cool is that? Um, yeah, the original, I think it's Bill's dad. Yeah, because that's Ted's dad. Yeah. Um, Bill's dad, unfortunately, the actor passed away, so he wouldn't be there. Um, but it is the original Missy actress. So you have, like, it's a wedding scene, but it's set up like a reunion, basically. Yeah. And so then they say, they say all right, we're going to give you guys, you know, the first taste of our new song. And the name of this song escapes me, but there's a lot of the first three movements of da 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 Yeah, part one. So, first off, is here's the thing. If you're going to write a song that is supposed to unite the world, you're not going to do it with some crazy-ass avant-garde prog shit. Yeah, unfortunately, it's going to be like some top 100 thing that's yeah. easily accessible. It's got to be something just kind of easy and simple. But when they start getting it going, I love it because the song, kick, the song. Yeah, the song kicks ass. Uh, it, they're using loopers, and then it's showing that these dudes are 
in the past 25 years in, in this world, they are pretty incredible musicians. Like playing trumpets, yeah, bagpipes, throat singing. Yeah, like for real. Rufus did not lie to us. You know, they get better. It's more than just the rock and roll guitars now. It's like, all right, you guys, you know, how about make the song and then experiment, you know? Make the song and then experiment. But it's like, they're, like they're, they're in, like, their Beach Boys phase right now. Like, they're <laughs> so creatively bankrupt that they're going for, like, ambient oh singing and, <laughs> and they're using a fucking, uh, a literal, it reminds me of Walk Hard. Like, you can either say it, like, leave the band. Or learn to play a fucking theremin. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I just an army of didgeridoos. Yeah. That shit was fucking great, man. <laughs> and, and the song actually does kick ass. And it's funny seeing, like, so Missy and Deacon are trying to dance to it. They're being thrown off. There's one extra in the background who rules. Like, he's this guy with a mustache who's just bobbing his head to it. <laughs> he rocks. Whoever he is... Like, that's awesome. And then the daughters are just so supportive in whatever they do. Like, they acknowledge what's weird about their daughters is they are, they're clones of Bill and Ted, but not carbon copies. Like, they acknowledge that this is some weird shit. Like, Samara Weaving, who's amazing in everything she does, just side note, um, she gives uh, Ted's daughter the look like, whoa, when they're saying the song title, like, this is going to be some weird shit. Yeah. And they acknowledge this might not be the right time or place. They still dance along with They are into what their dads are doing because they believe that they're going to save the world. It's a huge burden on the entire family, except for the princesses who are still just relatively background characters. <laughs> but um, it made me think, because you already have set up for so many cliché sequel things. Like, you have the son who's a cop getting married. Like, he's obviously like, why can't you be more like your brother? Like, you think the plot's going to be more there. That's mm -hmm. more so the dad's qual uh, qualms. But the real weight and drama of the movie isn't that. That's why when he gets zapped and sent to hell, it's like, oh, you were right. I love when they do that because it's like, yeah, that's not even the point of the movie. That's what a bad sequel would do. What this is about is the weight of being told you're going to save the world and how that affects your family. You know what I mean? And yeah, like, like, they're told that they're going to write one song that's supposed to unite the world. Imagine sitting down and trying to do that. It's just impossible. Like, I think everyone in life, even the most even-keeled person, I think we all go through insecurities where I know, me for certain, I sometimes set, like, golden standards for myself in my head, and I have to, like calm down for a moment and be like, hey, wait, are you expecting yourself to be perfect here? Because that's just setting yourself up for failure. That's never going to happen. You know what I mean? You can be good, but you know what I mean? Perfection is a subject su subjective thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you write a song that's going to save the world? So, yeah, I would come to a point where if I'm in my late 40s, reaching 50, I would be doing some didgeridoo shit, too. <laughs> I'd be playing that shit with my feet. And... So, after the wedding, yeah, we have, we have, you know, the, the song doesn't go over too well, and, uh, Ted's dad is talking shit, like, you should have got real jobs, da-da-da-da-da, you know, and... The princesses don't even respond, they're like, um, I think Red Letter Media pointed this out in their half in the bag, where they were like, it's so funny how he states the obvious, like, how does it feel that you guys are the only ones that have jobs? 
and they just don't respond. He just walks away. They don't even, like, it gets expanded on later in the therapy scenes, but I love how it's just kind of a running gag. A little bit of a mean-spirited gag, but the princesses are always relegated to, like, background, silent characters. They get more lines in this movie, but what's really funny is, like, as useless as they are in the plot, in the lives of Bill and Ted, they're incredibly, they hold it down. I don't know what jobs they have, but they're the only ones that have jobs. They're the only ones that are thinking realistically. And it's fucking crazy to think that, like, these women from uh, the Crusades <laughs> are thinking straighter than fucking uh, Bill and Ted at this point. You know what I mean? Crazy in a good way. Like, it's a hilarious setup. Yeah. Um, and they hold it down. And, you know, the daughters don't even really acknowledge that. I'm like, bro, I would be like, if these women were my mom and I was Bill and Ted's dad, like, I would be worshipping the ground they walked on, because it's like, they're the only reason they have a house right now. Yeah. And they have good fucking houses. They're mm-hmm. right next to each other on, like, a little cul-de-sac. Yeah, and they live in California. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. yeah, like, <laughs> like, so things are bad, but they're not really bad. What I like about, going back to what I was saying about the weird juxtaposition of the Bill and Ted universe is any other, like, sequel that's 30 years later would have gone grimdark. Like the Star Wars sequels, like Luke's vanished, Han and Leia broke up. Uh, it's like, no, there's a threat of that in the movie that's like, oh, we may lose our wives because, you know, they're fucking smart. You know what I mean? They're, they're wise enough. We're fucking schmucks. Yeah. But, you know, it's never like the beginning. They don't just open us up on that. There's hope in this movie, and I really enjoy that. There's yeah. a line where Ted is like... Um, I feel like things are going to change in a most excellent way. And he kind of sounds a little bittersweet, but there's like a hope in his voice where it's like, you know, take a shot every time fucking Alex Winter lifts up his fist and goes, we're going to fix this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, uh... This, this is what I love about this movie, too. It gives you so much to talk about, but in a positive way. Yeah. It's not like counting the nitpicks, like, mm, I didn't like this, I didn't like that. It keeps adding on to that... Bill and Ted is such an odd blend of humor, and you can tell there's just so much love for these two, they're not even morons, they're just lovable schmucks, that's yeah. the word for it, they're just, not losers either, like there's a, always a threat, like their dads think they're losers, but it's like they're relatively liked, they're kind people, you know? Like, yeah, just very lovable, doofy guys. The writers really tapped into because I believe they came up with Bill and Ted in like an improv class where they themselves were just being these whoa dude characters before they even had Alex and Keanu. There's just like they really tapped into this singular, unique sense of humor that only they could really pull off. You yeah. know, because nobody really compares Bill and Ted to Back to the Future or Doctor Who, even though Doctor Who and them both travel in phone booths. Like, um, it's such a one-of-a-kind thing. They really couldn't have done this without, like, the original writers involved. Thank God this didn't go, like, another Keanu movie, the way of The Matrix uh, Resurrection. Like, we don't want some of the people involved. We recasted Morpheus. Like, how the fuck do you do that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we cut to the therapy session, right, after the wedding? Yeah, and Jillian Bell plays the therapist, and she, I saw her in the trailer, the, this is what I mean by even, like, the set, the side characters, 
every addition feels so welcome. Jillian Bell's been in Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, that Seth Rogen Christmas movie, The Night Before. She was uh, Seth Rogen's wife in that, and I don't know. They just have a really good way of picking their cast for this. Everyone fucking fit in so well. I love her facial reactions when she's just trying to piece together, like, all right, are these people, like, really from this time period, or is there some, like, really bad psychosis going on? Yeah, yeah. They, um, they play with that just a little bit, and so they're in the therapy session, and it's talking about, uh, you know, normally when we do couples therapy, it's just the couple, you know, not all four of y'all together, and Bill and Ted cannot... Basically, they just can't individually say, I love you. And it's all, we love you, you know. And Dude, they're a quad. They do, they, they don't, I don't assume Bill and Ted use the internet. They're still using fucking cassette players and Walkman to listen to their music, right? Uh, it's the wives who are on the computers. They're, they're at work making the money. So I don't think they're up to date on modern terminology. So they just, you know what I mean? I feel like this therapy session could have gone a lot quicker if you're like, this is what we want to do. And they're like, well, this is we don't want to do that. So they're like, we we love you. Well, no, Ted and I love you, you know? Yeah. And Joanna, I think this is the first time they were given names, I believe. Yeah, I, um, seriously, I don't think any names were mentioned in the other ones. Because like you said, you know, they were just kind of background in, in both movies. And, you know, they get a little more to do in this, which we'll get into, but, and I'm going to, it is one of my slight complaints, but I get why. But we'll get there when we get there. The princesses are recast. They do get a couple more lines, but I do see, as fucked up as it sounds, the joke kind of always was that it's like they're these hot girls that put up with Bill and Ted shit. And they're good characters in the movie. They do go the extra mile to give them a little bit more characterization, but at the end of the day, it's like that's the joke, is that Bill and Ted had this extraordinary adventure and they just, you know, the princesses just see them a certain way, you know what I mean? But now, it's been 30-odd years in the future for them. Like, they're, like, this isn't how it works, you know? <laughs> yeah, so not a whole lot is revealed during the therapy session, except for the fact that they're, they're kind of struggling, and Bill and Ted are faced with, all right, it's probably time to just grow up. I get office jobs. Just, oh. you know, put on a suit and tie and work for the man-man. Yeah. Little sad little bluesy air guitar. And so at this point, the therapist asks Bill and Ted to leave. And so they do. So she could talk to the ladies, uh, you know, alone. And they go home. Turns out they live next door to each other. We open the garage and their daughters are over there listening to some music. And this is transcendent, man. I did love that line. Yeah, and the daughters, you get a lot more of the daughters here and bits of their personality. And like you said, yeah, they they are like their dads, but very not carbon copies. It's, it's almost like real life where, like, you know, um, the, the children are fairly resemblant of the parents, but not a carbon copy. Um and the way they compliment their par their dad's music at the wedding was really cool. Uh, I mean, they're supportive. 
um, naive for yeah. sure. And they, yeah, they they get it. Gonna, like, um, they totally get it. They totally, they, they were raised on all kinds of music. Uh, and, you know, and I, that's another thing I like, too, is, you know, in, in the original, you know, it's heavy metal. You know, it's hair metal-y stuff. You know, but I do like that over the years, you know, the, these two ladies were raised up on just more than rock and roll stuff. You know, they like uh, Mozart. They like classical music. They like jazz music. So I, that's what I like. So you can see that, like, Bill and Ted obviously switched up on a lot of the music they listened to as well, especially given the fact that they're jamming bagpipes and trumpets and theremins and shit, you know. Oh, for and, sure. They're just music lovers. They are speaker brains. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They collect the albums. They collect the jewel cases. Um, one thing that I was going to say is that and the evolution of music goes along with Bill and Ted. That's right. They don't. They aren't just specifically hair metal guys. Where in uh, Bogus Journey we get a little bit more industrial. They reference Megadeth, which is thrash metal. When they're in Hell, I believe they make a reference about Megadeth albums. Yeah. And. We got Primus. We got, um, you know, the dude from Faith No More who isn't Mike, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, which is which is awesome as shit. Because, like, yeah. like, And then with this movie, too, uh, they they used a lot of um, uh, Lamb of God, uh, the guy from Animals as Leaders. Um, he's got a weird name. Um um, He's in the movie, though. Uh, Tosin Abasi, the guitarist of, from Animals as Leaders, did the air guitar riffs. Uh, and apparently, they got his band Animals as Leaders to do a version of the World Saving Song uh, from the end of the movie that I need to I need to look up and hear. Uh, so. The, the music director of the movie thought that, you know, this is where guitar is headed, so we're going to use these guys. So it's cool that they kept, you know, the uh, overall idea there, um, but updated it slightly. And jumping ahead, like, it's kind of fitting that they have Dave Grohl in this movie, because, again, it's like Bill and Ted seemed like that those guys were just up on the wall. They listened to the Top 100 Rock, they listened to the Obscure Shit, they are, you know, across the board, just, you know, yeah. big-time music collectors, you know. Mm-hmm. And so... Cameo, because, again, going back to Focus Journey, even going back to uh, 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 Excellent Adventure, you know, uh, Jonah Bark was uh, Kate from the uh, Go-Go's. And then you have, again, Faith No More, Primus. You know, it's always been steeped in uh, rock and roll uh, history, ultimately. Yeah. And, um, then... So and we, Kid Cudi. Yeah, Kid Cudi. Alright, I don't know a thing about that guy. Uh, Me neither, really. So, I don't know any, you know, uh, but we'll talk okay, about him more when we get there. Because, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, when, and something I forgot to mention, at the beginning of the movie, when they're giving you the exposition dump, Time is just getting mixed up and fucked up. Uh, you have uh, different historical figures zapping into different parts of time, and Kid Cudi gets zapped away from a concert. Uh, you know, and there, 
there's some funny shit that they do with that, but then at the at the same time, it's kind of like, eh, this is kind of weird. It's the green screen effect, really. I think that makes it a little more awkward because it kind of makes it look like a YouTube video. This is where the budget has its like give and take. Where I appreciate that it was a low budget affair, where it's like we're just gonna have the original crew as much as the original crew as we can get, um, and we're gonna do it. We're gonna make it. There's some moments of CGI that look awesome, like when they go through the telephone booth and we get an updated look of the time traveling. That all looks spectacular. I have no complaints with the CGI there. But scenes like in the future, where they're meeting the Great Ones, it kind of feels like a Star Wars prequel a little bit, where it's like we have flat side medium shot of people walking on like a on a on a ramp basically, and yeah. these wide vista shots, like the background is just like this open futuristic space of white and gray. And even, like, what you were saying about the robots before is, like, yeah, the future didn't really look like that back then, but this movie also, they thought about it in advance, where it's like, well, timelines are getting fucked up, things change, you know, they didn't write the song when they needed to and stuff like that, so in that, you know, the time travel rules of Bill and Ted are not as solid as something like the Terminator, but, like, they do have something there where it's like, stuff will change if stuff gets screwed up, you know what I mean? Yeah, and so the girls leave, and Bill and uh, Tev sit there and just kind of reflect on what was going on, and then you really get it, man. Tev's talking about selling his fucking Gibson, and just kind of stopping and shit, and they're like, that's where it's like really hitting, like, damn, they're not going to do it. Will this be the end of Bill and Ted? basically. It's like that moment, but I'm glad they do it right there, because again, kind of subverting expectations in a good way, not like a Star Wars sequel, is um, this would be like a middle moment in any other movie. Yeah, this would be like the part where they break up and split up for a second, and you follow each of them for about a half hour, moping around and whining. Filler, yeah. Until somebody has an epiphany. Um... So this movie, like the other two, you know, just subverts expectations. Like I said, completely unpredictable. And so while this is going on, um, this time-traveling egg appears in the cul-de-sac. And it's that lady. I don't know her name, but she's on uh, What We Do in the Shadows. It's uh, Kristen Schaal. Kristen Schaal. And I remember her... More so for her voice acting roles through uh, Gravity Falls. She played Mabel on that show. She's the dinosaur in uh, Toy Story 3 and 4. Very recognizable voice. Very unique, awkward, kind of cutesy style of humor. Yeah, has a very um, Victoria Jackson vibe to her voice. Yeah. Yeah, is that her name? Who is also in UHF? Not sure. Which character are you thinking of? I want to say she had. She, she was. Uh, God, I, I don't know. She was on Saturday Night Live back in the day. She was. She's friends with Weird Al. Because when I think of uh, when I think of UHF and girls, I think Fran Drescher. Yeah. Play. But um, what I was going to point out is that her style of humor again is very different from a George Carlin. But when you look at her face. And then you also see that she's also the daughter of the Great One. 
I could definitely see, like, that's their kid, you know. But she has some Carlin features in her face that make it really um, work. Yeah, so she tells him, okay, shit's going down, and the council wants to see you guys. And so Bill and Ted are like, okay, um, yeah, they love us, man. Uh, what can go wrong? And while this is happening, uh, Billy and Theodora are witnessing it. They just happen to see it out there, and they're totally cool with it. They're, you know, they've heard the stories growing up, I'm sure, so... They're amazed, but they're not completely like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, they're not like, what the fuck is going on? You know, it's not freaking them out. They're just like, oh shit, our dads are in trouble. It's more like, yeah, it's happening now. It's happening. Yeah. And so they get to um, the future. And it's funny when they walk out, they're like, dude, the future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. And here's something I'll say this movie does above a lot of legacy uh, sequels, all right? A lot of legacy sequels like to throw the catchphrases out there, right? Uh, And... I have a big complaint about all the... I still have not seen this new Flash movie. Don't really care to. Yeah, me neither. But in all the trailers, we have um, Michael Keaton's Batman saying, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. And how much do you weigh? And I'm like, okay. Did he say how much do you weigh? I saw the let's get nuts and I rolled my eyes. Because I'm like, why would he say that again? Like, he doesn't exactly. know that it's My, not even a catchphrase. It was just a memorable line to us. It was us a thing it. that he, yeah, exactly. My, the way I look at it, I'm like, this is just a thing he said in that moment. There was a reason he asked her how much she weighed. There was a reason he said, you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. It wasn't something he says. It was something he said. So for him to say it again, for him to say it again in this is just there. Oh, that's the thing that he said that one time. Oh, yeah. Like, no. To me, that was lazy and stupid. Well, in this movie, this movie, we get be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Now, that's not necessarily a catchphrase, but what I like how they handled this is the fact that Bill and Ted, they don't know they're in trouble, and they think these people love them, and it went well the first time they did it, they say to themselves, let's do it again, and that's all we need to say, and it's all going to be okay. No, they say it, and it's like they're shut down, like, no, motherfucker. And it's not even like a whole bit either where they're, like, talking to each other, like, maybe we should try that thing. They just do it. Yeah. It's just what works. I love when, um, you know, the, the great one, the head great one, she's so stern and angry. She's like, Bill and Ted, but they still respond with their little hand motion, like, sup? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, and they get shut down again. Like, I I don't want to keep using that term, subverting expectations, because it is a little, you know, it does get overused, but that's what it is. You know, it's getting the plot started that it's like, listen, you guys aren't all what you crack, what you're cracked up with, yeah. and it doesn't feel unwarranted either. I'm gonna keep going back because I think the most relevant legacy sequels of the past couple of years, you know whether you agree or not, would be the Star Wars trilogy, just because Star Wars is so big in pop culture, they immediately scattered the heroes to the four winds and brought them into, like, a uh, depressed state where 
the story of how they got there would have almost been more interesting than the trilogy itself. You know what I mean? If all that stuff was maybe relegated to a better written final movie, episode nine, I would have loved to see, like, if you could explain why they got to this depressed state in a way that doesn't feel um, out of place or um, out of character, that's that's key right there. Yeah, I, I hate to say it. There's, I think this and Scream, Scream 5, did the Legacy sequels the best. Out of all of them that I've seen so far, those two handled it the best. Scream 5 was good. I think we talked about this on the Ghostbusters one, where it made me reevaluate the Scream series as a whole. So that's saying something. Yeah, like, it's incredible how good Scream 5 was. And it does the member berries. Like, you can't say it doesn't do member berries, but it does it in, again, a way that the audience can appreciate it. It doesn't feel like jangling keys. It feels like, oh, okay, yeah, you're actually like, kind of doing yeah. something with this. They, like, you acknowledge that we recognize the old movies. You know, I mean, it'd be weird if they don't acknowledge the old movies at all. There needs to be a balance, but it's not immediately like this is out of character. Again, like, even when we were talking about Keanu Reeves being a little more understated, I never feel like I'm not watching Ted. You know yeah. what I mean? It still mm-hmm. feels like that is what Ted would be as an older man. Yeah, definitely. Kind um, of like this chill surfer dude. So they're told they have le- basically less than an hour to, uh, or maybe just above an hour, to write this song and uh, save the world. Because now... Uh, all time and space and reality is about to just explode. It's going to go away. It's going to the end. And That's how this uh, movie kind of differentiates itself from the other two. Because like I said, it's kind of a best of. We're going to take elements from Bogus Journey and Excellent Adventure. But again, it's not just dealing with time. It's not just dealing with heaven and hell. It's reality itself. So there's kind of a multiversal thing in there which is before, like, everything, everywhere, all at once, and Multiverse of Madness, so it doesn't go off the rails like movies like those would. Everything, everywhere, all at once, in a more positive light, uh, Multiverse of Madness, and a little bit more of a messy light, but I still like that one. I like that this doesn't get bogged down in the new elements of the world. Again, it kind of um, goes into what we're going to save for later with the princesses, but it kind of feels like there was going to be more of a multiversal subplot with them. There's definitely, I don't own the DVD, but I feel like there's got to be a ton of deleted scenes with the uh, with the princesses. Yes, and I would hope so. So, Bill and Ted are like, okay, what do we do? Well, let's go to the future where we have wrote the song and steal it, which I think is hilarious. That is such a Bill and Ted way of thinking and then when Ted says, well, wait a minute, isn't it stealing? And he's like, Ted, it's not stealing if we steal it from ourselves. <laughs> I, that too. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a line that was in the trailer that I was like, all right, I'm on board with you guys. Like this right here, that is the perfect kind of Bill and Ted line right there. It was like, you guys are on it. You guys are on it. And that kind of starts this whirlwind adventure. Like, 
there was the setup, and I love how this movie has such a good pace. There's a lot going on in the movie, which is probably why the princess stuff got more relegated to the side, but it never feels bogged down. I never felt confused by where the characters were. Yeah. So it had to get so much in a good, like, hour and a half movie. Yeah, they had to cram a lot, and they had to juggle a lot, and I think they did it pretty well. Um, a juggling act. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot, there was a lot of catching up that needed to be done, and there was a lot of stuff to juggle simultaneously, and the fact that they, you know, it didn't take long, you know, we're, we're about halfway, we're, no, we're about 30 minutes, roughly, into the movie, when they steal the time machine, which is... Kind of nice, quaint, tight, you know. Um, it doesn't feel like there's much filler going on, which the Bill and Ted movies, I've never really had filler, in my opinion. There's too much going on for it to be filler, you know. Whereas, like, so this, you know, you, the main meat of the plot begins within 30 minutes which is a perfect, perfect amount of time to get us where we're going. Whereas when we go back to uh, Ghostbusters, I mean, what? It's about an hour into that movie by the time things really start moving. Yeah, I was never checking my clock with this movie. I was never not engaged. I never felt like something was slow, like, oh, do we really need this here? Where... And I didn't hate Ghostbusters Afterlife, but just comparing watches between the two podcasts, like, I definitely felt the length of that movie. And it is a longer movie, Yeah. still. Yeah. Uh, there, you know, Django Unchained is close to, like, three hours. There's some movies that are close to three hours, but pacing and editing make it feel like, whoa, wait, we're already done? Like, that was, that yeah. was crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Ghostbusters is a lot longer, but it had less to juggle. <laughs> they added more on to juggle, honestly. Like, they <laughs> threw in that crunch bar. You know, like you said, they don't do fan service for fan service sake in this one. They do the air guitars every once in a while. They really only save it for the scene with death, because that's where it's at its most triumphant. That's where you really need the air guitar. Um, yeah, we get it, like, a time or two here and there. They don't even really say, like, excellent and bogus that much. Like, they still use their, their Bill and Ted rhetoric, but they're older now. I was going to point this out during the therapy scenes, that it's funny that, again, they're still in character. They're still using their Bill and Ted terms, but they're talking in their inside voices, and it's kind of like a weird, dramatic setting for them to be in, and it kind of just tickles my funny bone a little bit, seeing juvenile characters in really adult situations. Yeah. And you get, what I do like is they add on to their vocabulary, whereas when Bill says, oh man, future you is definitely a one contentious dickweed. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that one down, that was a good one. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that is such a Bill thing to say, uh, and I've never heard him say it before. <laughs> And it spreads onto their kids, too. Like, I don't know if, like, epoch was the word of the day in the writer's mind, but it gets brought up twice where 
the great um, the great one later on is like, oh, we just need to kill Bill and Ted. This is too much. Like, this is going to be the epoch. Like, we're just going to end Bill and Ted. But then what I mean is they spread on to their daughters, their vocabulary, because they're talking to either like Louis Armstrong or Jimi Hendrix, and they're like, don't you want to join this epoch epochical band? They create like a new word for it. Yeah. <laughs> and so... When this happens, uh, Bill and Ted go to, what, about two years into the future, and, okay, well... It's a Tuesday taco night. Yeah, so let's go back. Uh, the lady in the, the great one, she says, 25 years ago, y'all played at this place in front of X amount, you know, you know millions of people, and then a couple days ago, you played for, like, five people at a... Da da da, and all those people were there just for two dollar taco night. That was kind of funny, but uh, but yeah. So they show up, and you've got a washed up Bill and Ted uh, playing their song. Um, I forgot the name of it, um, but Bill and Ted are excited because it's one of their songs, and they watch it, and it goes nowhere. And future Bill and Ted tell them, you know, they first they start, oh shit, they're here. They start running off. They start trying to hide. Which leads to a funny line. They go, hey, us stop. Yeah. And so they talk to him for a second, and they're like, yeah, we haven't wrote the song yet. Um, and <clears throat> the princess has left us, and you made it worse. They Older versions of the princesses came and picked them up, and they tried to find different realities where they were actually happy with you and couldn't find any. And weird is that we're, we've been talking about Keanu Reeves' understated performance. He's weirdly more full of expression as the angry, uh, depressed Ted. What? I wrote characters down as um, Scott Bill and St. Anger Ted. Yeah, which is real funny, man, because uh, they start fighting and uh, God, what does he say? Uh, it pisses Ted off, and he he comes over there and starts trying to want to whoop his ass. He's like, "You're a dick, Ted. You're the one who couldn't write it, Ted." Yeah. I love that line. Yeah, yeah, and um, so they leave there. They're upset. They're like, "Okay, well, we need to we need to stop the princesses from leaving us." So I believe right after this, they show back up to the therapy session and start talking and they're like, oh, so you time traveled again. They're like, yeah, and then you, you're going to leave us. And they're like, we're not going to leave you. So already clearly the um, their wives aren't planning on leaving them. And uh, like, Will, I'm going to start drinking a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. And while all this is, they're saying all this stuff and the, the therapy lady is sitting there like just bewildered. And uh, then they're like, she was like, so wait, she's like, yeah, we were we were born in 1408, and <laughs> like we're really from medieval England. Like I thought that shit was great. She's like, do you guys want to meet like five days a week? Like she just wants to talk to them every day. Yeah, she's like, I think we need to do three to five days a week. I just want to get you away from these fucking guys, because they clearly got you wrapped up in some weird cult. <laughs> They've clearly been talking to Egon Spangler, and I don't like that. Yeah, and so 
Bill and Ted leave, and then that's when, out, out the window, they see older princesses popping up. And so the present princesses go with them, and then, what, George Washington pops up sitting there? Yeah, and she rushes out the room. So that's kind of like the end of her, of the therapist character. She's just like, fuck this. Yeah, she was just like, nope. She just nope. noped right on out of there. Uh, and so when now this is happening, that's when great leader in uh, Kelly Rufus uh, realized that they stole the time machine. So she goes back to try and find them and instead finds Bill and Ted's daughters. And they're like, she's like, yeah, you know, the the world's going to end. They need to write this song. And so Bill and Ted's daughters are, oh, go shit. We need to go help them out. We can, we can help them put together a band uh, to play the song. I think in between this as well is when the great leader mentions that, you know, we're going to kill Bill and Ted, basically, and we have a robot for it. Yeah, yeah. I think they show the robot. And it's like the first introduction to the robot. We don't really see what its personality is like yet, but you just <laughs> see this big fucker. Yeah, this big-ass motherfucker. It's like, yeah, it's pretty... It's a pretty uh, intimidating robot. He's um, played by... Uh, the actor's name is Anthony Kerrigan, and he's most famous for um, the show Barry with Bill Hader. Hmm. I know my brother really likes that show, but I haven't really watched a lot of it. I recognized him because dude is fucking Victor Zaz in Gotham. I wasn't a huge Gotham fan, but I loved his performance as uh, as Zaz in that show. So they, they worked the makeup really well with him. But who the when fuck was Victor Zaz on there? Cause we watched about four seasons of that show. Victor Zaz is the bald guy with the really sunken in eyes, and with every life he takes, he kind of etches a little tally mark into his skin. Damn. So he's kind of like a Joker, kind of psychotic in a way, but he's not smart enough to be the Joker. Like, he's too out of his own mind. Like, he's a he's a creature of habit, basically. Like, he needs to add more tally marks. And in Gotham, since it's a prequel, he's pretty much, like, smooth skin. Like, he's only got a couple of tallies on his arm. Like, he's just a thug. But in the Batman universe, he's, like, something out of, like, a Thomas Harris novel, you know? Hmm. So they go go ahead and they zap out of there and I think it follows them, doesn't it? Bill and Ted. Does it follow Bill and Ted or does it follow after uh, Billy and Theodora? I, I, we cut back to the daughters because they realize that they're in trouble. They talk to um, Kristen Shaw and this is where um, this early on in the movie they're already like we got to put a band together. Yeah, because they were talking about. We were just going to put a bunch of samples together and let that be the song, but no, we can go ahead and get, like, the best musicians ever. And so they show up at London, 1960-something, and go talk to Jimi Hendrix. They see him jamming, and I like it, too, that, like, Theodora just decides, yeah, I'm going to film this on her phone. I just love that they added Jimi Hendrix at all. Um... And Louis Armstrong. I mean, you have two fantastic greats of the music world. And in my notes, I know this probably would have just been filler, maybe wouldn't have fit in the plot at all. Maybe could be a future Bill and Ted uh, premise, but it would have been a funny cutaway. 
if they tried to get Robert Johnson and they see him talking to the devil. Yeah. That would have been cool. That would have been cool. They just happen to show up right at the moment he's fucking talking to Satan. Because we've already seen what Satan looks like in the Bill and Ted universe. So it'd be funny seeing realistic-ass Robert Johnson. Like, you get an actor who looks like him, and then just this weird, uh, practical-faced devil just shaking hands with him, Pink Floyd style. Or wouldn't it have been even awesome if it was death? Right, right. Oh, my God. He's just, and he didn't even get the credit. <laughs> He's living in this shitty pad. Later on in the movie, I laughed at, like, we have this fucking meatloaf-looking Dio album-looking hell. You know what I mean? With these flying monsters all over the place. And he's just got, like, a little pad. Yeah. With, like, sports posters and jerseys on the wall. And I do like that they kind of they kind of follow the... Instead of jumping back and forth, they kind of follow the uh, the girls for a minute. So we, we follow them on their adventure. And so they tell Jimi Hendrix, they're like, Hey, look, you know, do you want to be in my dad's band? And he's like, No. And just shuts the door on them. And so they're like, okay, we need to get somebody to help convince them. So they show up in uh, 1922, New Orleans. Louis Armstrong, basically. Yeah, go get Louis Armstrong, um, which was really cool. Really cool little bit. A little run-down shack they're jamming in. and, And he's all cool about it. You know, she's like, hey, play it here. Watch this guy. He, he wants you to be in his band. He cracks me up every time I see it, because I think about, again, these movies don't follow, like, quote-unquote, realistic time travel rules, where it's like, there's no paradoxes, there's no, like, if you were given, like, a piece of space-age technology playing a video of some guy you've never seen before, wouldn't you lose your fucking mind? Yeah, wouldn't like, you? he's just all about it, you know? She's like, here, I'm going to show you this video on my phone. He's just squinting, like, oh. You guys gotta take a look at this. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's just cool. He thinks the music sounds cool as shit. Dude, like, since watching this movie, we, like, setting up for the podcast the whole time, like, stuck in my head. Just, I'll be glad when you did, you rescue you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hey. I thought that was a great addition. Um, and I'm glad they didn't do just all uh, rock and blues musicians, where it's like, we're gonna go back to Mozart. We're going to get, um, what was it? Uh, Lin Lun. Lin Lun. Who, uh, who was basically created ancient Chinese uh, music. Which is crazy. Like, this is where, like, it comes the closest to fan service, and it's still doing something new enough with it, where it's not, like, creatively bankrupt. Where... The vibes of these scenes remind me, of course, of, uh, of Excellent Adventure. But it's not like they're getting ready for, like you said, a, a, a show and tell. They're not trying to get back to, it's still a new premise, but it still keeps in line with that comedy. I love when um, uh, Lin Loon starts playing the uh, Mozart music on her flute, and Mozart's just getting all giddy, like, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he shows it to her. He just shows it to her, and then she takes it back, and she knows how to play it, which was really cool. And then they my, my, oh, during that scene was like, "Damn, Mozart playing Lin Lun's flute. This is sexy." <laughs> and then they uh, they pick up Grom, this caveman drummer, uh, 
which was sort of an odd choice, uh, but I'm with it. I'm with That's it. That's gag, you know. I thought it was best. I thought the best pickup scene was when they picked up Mozart, though, and they, they show up in uh, Vienna, and he's in there jamming, and... Then Hendrix gets out there, starts jamming with him. I was like, all right, that's too damn cool right there. Jimmy um, versus Mozart, Dawn of Awesomeness. And Dawn of Roll. Very, very slightly reminiscent of when they had picked up Beethoven in the first movie. But I do yeah. think I do think when they picked up Beethoven in the first movie is still one of the funniest damn parts. Because, like, they just show up and they're just kidnapping his ass. And he doesn't know what's going on because he's deaf, so he's still jamming while they're trying to grab his ass. <laughs> yeah, Mozart's a little more cognizant. They actually convince him. Yeah, he comes out there yelling at him. He comes out there bitching and yelling at him. Stop making all that fucking noise. Um, and I think my only complaint is, uh, all right, you get a slight bit of friendship with uh, when they pick up Jimi Hendrix and Louis Armstrong. Hendrix is like, Louis Armstrong is like 65 years old. This isn't him. They're like, oh, they got me in 1922. And he's like, I love your music. It's uh, very bluesy, but how do you guys say? And they're like, psychedelic. He's like, psychedelic. And, you know, it's like, my only slight nitpick is there wasn't enough interaction with uh, these characters the historical musical figures. Whereas in Excellent Adventure, there wasn't a whole lot to juggle. So there was a lot of scenes with the historical figures hanging out. And you see this odd friendship between Socrates and Billy the Kid build up. Uh, you know, and... With Sigmund Freud trying to hit on the girl. Yeah, you know, you don't... You don't get a whole lot. But it could be seen as filler, you know. But it's good. It's character building. Yeah, you don't get a lot of that in this, because after this, it's kind of really done doing anything with the uh, the musicians. I would have liked to see more interaction between uh, the historical musician characters. That would have been a little more fun, but it's a slight nitpick. Like I said, they had a whole lot they had to juggle around. Yeah, um, you still haven't gotten to hell yet, and so you still have to have all that. Like, death hasn't really... We haven't even seen the first shot of death, because the first teasing of death is, like, when Ted's dad gets vaporized. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I, I might have... It's just amazing that people could just fucking die in the Bill and Ted universe. Like, there's no, like, oh, they were defeated. They were... No, you're dead. They're all going to hell. Yeah, everyone goes to hell in the Bill and Ted universe. We're all dirty fucking sinners. Um, but, so before we get there, what happens next is, so the girls get the band together, uh, and they show back up to the house, but before this goes on, uh, we we gotta follow Bill and Ted, uh, so they go, they go little leaps into the future. What is it? The the next future is... Is it Dave Grohl's house? Yeah, so this scene, like, if I do happen to pick a little bit, I still wouldn't argue it's filler, but it could have been cut down a little bit because it's more so just to get to the robot killing Ted's dad, which isn't even really Ted's dad. I mean, are we in an alternate universe? Right, We're in the future. We're in the future. I don't think they go into, because it, <clears throat> I don't think we go into different, uh, 
realities because they remember them when they showed up two years before and they're like, okay, you know, we have the song. And it's funny, they have British accents now. <laughs> and they're wearing these pompous-ass clothes. Yeah, and it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen regular show on Cartoon Network. I remember um, it. I never saw it. In the early seasons, there's an episode very similar to this where they're starting a band, Mordecai and Rigby. They're not good yet, but they go into the future to, like, their rock star selves, who, again, of course, turn out to be shams and stuff like that. So immediately I was like, this is, like, I wonder if they saw a regular show and maybe took it from that. That's one of my issues with the scene, and I'm like, okay, like, this kind of concept's been done a little bit before. Number two, um, there's just really bad dubbing in this scene for some reason, like the ADR, when you have to sync up the, uh, the actor's voice with the, uh, with the motion. It's just kind of off a little bit, and you can tell their mouths are moving in certain areas, where particularly Keanu Reeves, slight moments where, like, his mouth is moving, where his mouth is, like, moving not the way it should be. I'm trying to find the right way to describe it. It is such a small nitpick, but it's something that, of course, I would fucking see and get bothered by. Weird, because um, I, I didn't really notice that. It's so quick, just because the editing in the scene is kind of like quick cuts back and forth from the table. Um, you can kind of notice it because the audio on piano reads is a little louder than the rest um, with his British accent. Maybe it's because... Keanu Reeves doesn't really know how to do a British accent. I don't know why they would make him... Like, I know it's supposed to be a sham, right? But are they trying to, like, bust his balls for Dracula? That's exactly what I was going to say. Because, you know, you, you said maybe he's not good at a British accent. I'm like, well, if you want any proof, let's turn on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right, right. And it's like, this is a comedy, so they definitely are leaning into, like, it could be shitty, you know what I mean? But I feel like Alex Winter is, like, nudging his damn shoulder because Keanu Reeves famously, like, was not there for the Dracula shooting. Like, he was in between movies. He didn't really have time to practice. Not even like he would. He admits, like, I don't even think I would be able to do a good British accent, but if I had more time to, like, practice, maybe. But he's like, I was in between two other movies. I'm like, oh, I got to do... The reason he did it was like, hey, it's Coppola. Yeah. Like, I'm say no to that. And so they, they're they pretending that they're huge rock stars now, and they're in this mansion, and they say, here's the song, man. And uh, it turns out it's Dave Grohl's house. Bill and Ted are about to leave. Okay. And, that's, that's a Dave Grohl twist. Yeah, and they're like, you know what? I hated, I hated the last version of Us's, but these Us's are really good. And then they open the door, and it's Dave Grohl. He's like, who the hell are you guys? What are you doing in my house? So they shut the door on Dave Grohl. And I love Dave Grohl's um, attraction to comedic acting. Yeah. Like, again, we had him in Tenacious D. He's been in a ton of different stuff, but even the Foo Fighters movie that they made before, uh, before Hawkins passed away yeah, was... Yeah, I still um, got to see that. It, again, it's a, a bit of a sleeper hit. Like, it's not spectacular... You know, but it's a nice, like, unexpected little, like I would say about this movie, it's like a hangout movie. Fucking Carrie King from Slayer is in that damn Studio 666 movie. It's it's pretty wild. Awesome. And he plays like Brody, but, like, I'm like, holy shit, I'm like fucking Slayer. So they run up there, and they say, this is, this is Dave Grohl's song. He wrote it. We didn't write this. We don't want this. And we got... 
fucking uh, Keanu Reeves in a really funny fat suit. It's not like oh, a cartoony yeah. over the top one. It's just like kind of a realistic ear gut, and he's like scratching at it. Yeah. When, like, they rip off things. the stuff. Yeah, they're balding now and looking yeah. bad. Because well, I was about to say that um, Sir Bill, his his fucking British uh, alter ego, he's kind of channeling like a Robert Plant, uh, a Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Persona. He looks exactly like with the long hair. I'm like, is that fucking Robert Plant? <laughs> and what I think is funny is they've, they've already taken the disguises off, and when Bill and Ted show back up, they're still trying to keep the ruse going and speaking with the British accents. Yeah, yeah, like they just fucking melted off screen or something. Like, don't find <laughs> the man behind the curtain. Kind of shit. Oh, shit. And going back to the whole beer thing, because it also relates to when they see themselves in the future, future... <laughs> This movie does have CG, but the practical, like, body builds that they have for this movie are really impressive. Like, yeah, they look, they look cartoony, but not cartoony enough to, like, take you out of it. It doesn't look like Alec Baldwin in the Cat in the Hat movie, where it has just, like, he might as well have just, like, a pillow under his shirt, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and like, so... You know, they, got, they got them jacked later on. Like, I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, so now... Uh, Bill pulls a gun out on them, and they're like, you know, we're going to go back, and we're going to fix everything. And he's like, dude, you don't have to do this with a gun. He's like, well, do you want to know what happens if I don't pull a gun on you? And he puts the gun down, and they start to run. You hear the click, like, see, told you. And so they're like, well, what do we do, man? They they know everything we're going to do. Oh, then we're just going to have to do something that they won't know. And I thought this was incredibly clever. Next thing you know, you see them wandering around with buckets on their head, and they're popping out of the balcony, and it's like, it makes so much sense. You don't, they don't know where they're walking, they don't know how they escape because they can't see anything because they got the buckets on their heads, which I thought was great, but at this time, SWAT team shows up, and Deacon and, and Ted's dad shows up, and uh, so and what was funny is like, uh, Bill, old Bill and Ted are like, oh man, they're gonna do the thing. Like, oh, I thought they would forget about this. And <clears throat> so they fall off of the balcony and they see all the shit going down. Then the robot shows up and straight up zaps uh, fucking Ted's dad and the car or the the SWAT van. And I thought this was hilarious that Ted's dad is falling into hell. Along with the SWAT van, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the SWAT van has a soul and it's going down to hell. Fans uh, go to hell. <laughs> so that, I thought that shit was pretty damn perfect. And then they play a lot with it later on. Um, yeah, I'd say it's even funnier when they're going back up. Um, but this is the first time. And at first, I thought like maybe it was an unnecessary shot, like seeing death floating around him, but then I'm like, well, no, he did just literally die, so this is actually the perfect spot where we see uh, death for the first time. Yeah, so it's nice foreshadowing that we're gonna get the reunion. And he looks a little, like, no pun intended, grim, like, you could tell he's, like, not in the best of moods since the breakup with Bill and Ted. Yeah. And that Ted's dad, like, you. Yeah, I've been waiting for you. And, <laughs> and so now Bill and Ted move in a couple more years into the future, 
and it's uh, San Dimas Prison, and they hear this song, man, this kind of cool, weird, freaking, just grim-ass song. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, damn, um, this is more evidence that it's, it's the same future, because they're, they're like, what, what are you doing in prison? It's like, oh, it's because you had us take the fall for breaking into Dave Grohl's house. So... <laughs> So they went from beer guts to fucking, like, Schwarzenegger bods. Yeah, they're, like, freaking ripped. And uh, there's a lot of funny stuff here. Um, They're like, yeah, that song, man, wasn't really a song. And he's like, yeah, it was. You know, use this song. That's the song. And I love when the robot shows up here and (laughs) they just straight prison right beat the shit out of the robot. And he's sitting there like, ah, ah. Yeah, and he's so helpless. And then he just wants to get a rise out of him. He says, it wasn't a song. And it pisses him off more. And they all start beating up on the robot some more. I thought that was great. Yeah, like, he doesn't even understand, like, humor or interaction. Like, just something in him. The Like, this robot feels emotions. Yeah. He's like a weird kind of, like, atypical robot where he's, like, he's socially awkward. And I really appreciate Anthony Kerrigan's performance because... This kind of mumbly, stumbly, Vince Vaughn humor, as I like to call it, like, I'm going to ramble, and, um, you know, awkward things are going to come out. It's kind of like the modern form of humor in a lot of sitcoms, in a lot of, um, you know, different movies and TV shows. Yeah. And with that, it's kind of become the new trope, so it walks a fine line of feeling manufactured or feeling too forced. But this performance is on the money. Like, he nails every line delivery. I sent your daughters to Pebble. You know, like, I fucking love yeah. this character. And so, so now they go further in the future, and they see old Ted and old Bill lying in a, in a uh, old folks' home, and they finally have the song, and they're like, there you go, and they give them the song, and I love the little goodbye <laughs> And he's like, I'm sorry I never was really there for you, Ted, but it's just that every time I, I saw you, I saw myself. <laughs> yeah, it's this weird, like, te- uh, last temptation of Christ scene of, like, these elderly, like, dying, almost 2001 A Space Odyssey. The makeup on them is hilarious. The faces that Alex Winter in particular, like, pulls off as geezer Ted. Uh, It's so funny. And like you said, the dialogue is, like, stupid smart, where it's like, I always saw myself, yeah, me too. But it still manages to have such heart that it still feels like it's wrapping up or, like, continuing an arc for them. Like, we're getting them from point B to point C now in the plot. And it's such a silly premise, though, you know, because when you really think about it, if you're going to twist it into the most cynical sense, this is like the most narcissistic thing in the world. They're literally like, I love me. Yeah. And so uh, now um, Billy and Theodora and the rest of the band show up at the house, and then out of nowhere, Kid Cuddy zaps over there with them. And it's funny because, like, Kid Cuddy is all hip to the time travel lingo. Yeah, he's the one who does the techno babble. Yeah. Which was out of nowhere. I liked that. Because, um, hey, he's here. Yeah. And then the robot shows up, and um, 
just zaps them all, and they all go to hell. Which is, yeah, he could have zapped all those prison guys, too. I love how in that moment, like, everything that this robot does, I don't know why they programmed him like him, like this, or it's a glitch, but he's kind of like the inconvenient robot. Yeah, when, when he zapped him, he was just like, oh, oh no, oops. And, like, he doesn't even realize what he did, like, was I supposed to do that? I love later on, where it's like, well, I'm supposed to kill Bill and Ted. Well, we have the song now. Ah, well, um... I don't really know what to do now. Yeah, he's like, I have no purpose now. Um, and, yeah, so he's like, uh, I, I messed up. You know, I, I lasered your daughters. You lasered our daughters? Yeah. I do help. <laughs> and so now, like, the robot's dead, and he's going to kill himself. And yeah, which, so, again, the world of Bill and Ted is so quaint and somewhat innocent, but they get away with, like, these dark little moments of humor, like going to shoot myself, <laughs> like that, I was dying, because you don't expect that at all, like going through like a mental breakdown, and it kind of reminds me of like, you know, back then in the older movies, you know, Bill and Ted used the word, you know, fag a couple of times, there's like, there's a gag in both movies where like, they hug each other, fag, or something like that, and... What's weird about it is that they never come off as, like, hateful people. You know what I mean? Like, they're not using that as, like, the way it was designed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not That's just an unfortunate uh, leftover from the 80s. Yeah, well, yes. The making of the movie speaking, yes, it's just an unfortunate sign of the times. Character-wise, it's just, like, they're, they don't really realize what they're saying. Yeah. They're kind of, it's the lingo. Same thing with kind of like this joke with, uh, I was about to call him Barry, but then it's, uh, I'm like, I'm surprised they went for that, you know? Yeah, so they hug on the robot, and robot kills the, them, and they all land in hell. And um, <laughs> it's funny as shit, because it's like, how are you even here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? So he does, in fact, have a soul. He has feelings. And uh, then you find out his name is Dillis Caleb, Mc Caleb McCoy. <laughs> Named after, uh, uh, what's her name? Yeah, Kelly's ex-boyfriend. Ex Just to add insult to injury, I love the line that Kelly says before they all go to hell, like, what, are you going to send a robot to come kill me, Mom? Yeah. And what I will say, man, hell has had one hell of a makeover. Because it looks so fucking cool in this movie. Yeah, you know, we talked about how cheap some of the budget looks. Like the people zapping here and there. And, and the future looking kind of sterile. But a lot of the budget went to making hell look fucking awesome. It is pretty cool. And I've worked around it in my mind where I'm like, well, the hell in Focus Journey looks more like industrial metal. This more looks like power metal, thrash metal, but hell's a big place, so, you know, all that shit that's in Bill and Ted's bogus journey, you know, that could either be their personal hell, or just somewhere in there, you know what I mean? Yeah, because uh, the hell and bogus journey, you know, they're, they're right next to where the devil chills. Exactly, they're in the bowels. Yeah. In the bowels of hell. And, um, my one complaint with the green screen, in hell it's a little better, but it's like, I just missed that really colorful lighting and the camera angles, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, they're, 
Bogus Journey is such a music video of a movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, because Bo- in Bogus Journey, when they're going to hell, they're just flying through darkness. They're just falling through darkness. And, and then just those hallways, and then those grand fucking, like, sweeping shots of, like, these pits, you know? And then their personal health with, like, the granny and the just funny. Yeah, and this when when they're going to hell, it, it looks like uh, it looks like when Kenny goes to hell on the South Park movie. The boy going to hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Metallica, Bill and Ted, South Park, it all connects. <laughs> what happens after this? Does all? Well, they all go to hell. This is where um, the dad finally concedes. Well, if I'm in hell. Well, this means that you guys time-traveled and, like, all that you guys said was true. And I love the little line here where, um, you know, he's reconciling with Ted. And he's like, um, you know, I'm so sorry, son, I love you. And he's like, uh, Bill's in the background, like, thanks. Thanks, Dad. He's like, I didn't mean you, Bill. Yeah, I wasn't talking to you, Bill. Uh, But, yeah, I do like this because you also get character development, um, you know, so now Ted's dad gets it. He accepts the fact, and he's like, you need to do this. You know, you guys did go to hell. You did damn time travel and all this, which is something that didn't necessarily need to happen, but the fact that they did it, it's like, all right, okay, we're, we're, we're actually uh, letting him grow. Exactly. And again, it's not being um, weighed down by typical sequel tropes, where again, like, this would be the end. In our generic Bill and Ted 3, right, we would have the, they put down the guitars in Act 3, you know, then they get the time machine working, and then the ending, it's like, this would have been the through line, is like, oh, I made up with my dad, and hey, my kids are going to turn out pretty good, too, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, they're just like, we haven't even gotten to death yet, we need to get to that Let's just uh, let's just have them reconcile now. You know, this yeah. would be the good spot. And so they need to go find their daughters. Um, or actually, no, they need to find uh, yeah. Death. And what's so funny is they're walking around, and the robot, the robot's like, "Thank you, demons." You know, because they're trying to find Death, and the demons even mention they're like, "What? What the hell is that? Oh, that yeah, that, that's a robot in hell." Yeah. <laughs> I love those extras. Yeah. They're just chit chatting in the corner. Yeah, just like oh, it was so good. So out of nowhere, uh, there's a Silent Bob of Hell. And so we finally get it. Death is there, and he's playing hopscotch by himself. No longer playing the the baby board games. He's moved up in the world. Yeah, he's moved down. Like, he mentions that, like, Satan demoted him, basically. Yeah, because he let, he, he let them uh, go back to Earth, and uh, he went to Earth. And, uh, he pursued his dreams, man, with his fucking 40-minute bass solos, which I agree with him that, let's be real, I would be down for 40-minute bass solos. Primus was in the last movie. They should have taken a good note from them. You know, Les Claypool's still doing pretty good for himself, so... Yeah, I, I thought that shit, that shit was funny. You're doing 40-minute bass solos. Nobody else had time to play. 
Uh, yeah, it, it's funny that Death would get full of himself and and uh, you know venture on his own, and then he they mentioned he tried to take the Wild Stallion's name, and they had to sue him and got restraining orders on him. And I like that he's like, "What am I allowed to get close to you now? Is this too close?" Yeah, yeah, dude. So William Sadler fits like a glove, like right back into the death role. And he's kind of become a little bit of like a Roger Waters, basically. He's like, the wild stallions are a spent force. You can't do it without me. Yeah. And uh, I like that, like, in his little room there, he's just got all this old wild stallions memorabilia and stuff. Like, he, he can't, he wants to move forward, but he can't, he can't get away from the past. He's smoking that flame. He's been down there just bitter about it all these years. Doing it, yeah. <laughs> and all it takes is, like, one simple apology. Like, that's all he wanted was just to be back in the Wild Stallions. Yeah. And uh, it takes the daughters coming in there and uh, talking him up. And uh, some of the some of the song titles for his solo songs are great, like uh, Too Pale to Cry. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to those albums. Like, I wish they had the time... To make like little companion pieces. Yeah, like, like there was no tap, nobody was ready for an album that was nothing but bass. I'm I'm in. I would love that. <laughs> I maybe not others, but I want to listen to some Death. Even though there's already two bands named Death, probably more. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, he rejoins them and. They get in, they all crawl in the, the, the SWAT van, and then there's a knock on the back door. They were just, they were just going to leave Dennis there. Dennis the robot, they were just going to leave him there. Poor <laughs> Dennis. Yeah, they were and just going to um, Number one, beforehand, during the big apology scene, and before they do the, 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 the true air guitar of the movie, I think when they come back together and they do that double, like, that's the best. Yeah, um, and, and when Death goes, whoa, with it. Yes, yes. Like, they use that in all the uh, trailers once it was, like, coming out on streaming and stuff like that. Like, how could you not? But the facial expressions all around during that scene, when it cuts back to the daughters, like, they're, they're putting their hands to their face. Like, I was just dying laughing from the acting alone. But then they get in the van. I love the line delivery. Fucking Death is like, let's rock! And then Dennis is like, uh, I like the way that you said, let's rock, because <laughs> it made me want to rock. <laughs> and he's like, you, you don't get to rock, you earn the right to rock. It's like they're so weirdly mean to Dennis, and I think by the end of the movie, he, he earned that right to rock. I salute Dennis. Yeah. It's a visual all movie, and it doesn't even need gore to, like, back it up. Like, it's still so brutal, is. They shoot up into the air, and just falling sinners are fucking hitting, smacking, scraping. You hear, like, the windshield, like, <laughs> as people are screaming on their way down the hell. Yeah, they just slam it into them, man. That shit was great. And, I didn't um, really recognize that, because the movie is so super fast-paced. It's like, I didn't even remember that from the first time watching. I was, like, belly laughing. It's such an insane visual. Oh, there's also a line when they were all in hell, and, and uh, Billy and Theodora mentioned, yeah, we were trying to get all kinds of historical figures to uh, be in your band, and, and Kid Cudi's here, and he's like, 
Well, I guess I am kind of a historical figure now. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, the one that they used in the trailers a lot, too. I, I didn't mention it before, because it's like everybody's probably heard it, but I do like that one uh, where it's like, how are, you, how are you girls doing? And it's like, well, you know, we're dead and we're in hell. Yeah, but aside from that, oh, pretty good. Like, that's a good, that's a good interaction as well. Yeah. And so they, they land up in, on a, on a highway or freeway or whatever, and it's a big giant traffic jam because the world's going to shit, uh, and now Saturn is popping up, and he, he's like, dude, it's a total lunar eclipse, and he's like, man, there's nothing lunar about that, man. And yeah, during the steam. Like, number one, Star Wars vibes. It's like, that's no moon. But I was also like, you should have went back in time and talked to Oppenheimer, man. Yeah. Figure out what's going on with this. That would be such an insane visual. I wonder what that would look like. And uh, then I do think this is kind of funny. When it's showing all people from history zapping all over the place, and you've got the uh, crossing the Delaware, and then Jesus walking by on the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was a much better green screen than when he was at the Kid Cudi concert. Yeah, that was a that was one of the better gags of uh, putting the historical figures into wrong timelines. I thought that was the only part that really made me laugh with all the zapping all over the place. Yeah, I'm pretty surprised they included Jesus to begin with. That it's a it's a funny visual when he's being ripped at the beginning from the Last Supper as well. Yeah. And, follow up on that near the end, because doesn't he, like, show up at the Last Supper, like, jamming out or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, he shows back up at the Last Supper, and now he's got a cowbell, and he's jamming on the damn cowbell. <laughs> cowbell, they're playing Don't Fear the Reaper, basically. Yeah, <laughs> right on. And Which, so, I don't know why he's celebrating. He's about to be killed. Yeah. Somebody, Travis, somebody is going to betray him that night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judas, I'm fucking watching you. <laughs> So now we see Deacon and Missy, they're, they're not going to make it to the airport. All this shit's going down. Blue sky beam. Yeah, that's a little generic, but it's so... We're already, like, near the end of the movie that the main focus here is, like, we got to get this song made, you know? Yeah. And the Saturn visual is nice. And so... Everything's going to shit, and yeah, previously Bill and Ted had broke the USB with the song on it, and um, they've only got a couple minutes to get this thing together, and uh, then um, the princesses show back up, and they, they said they couldn't find a reality where they were happy because they're happy in this one, uh, and... The girls are like, all right, and I like this. They get everyone on stage, and everyone starts jamming, and it's not making any sense. Everybody's just doing their own thing. Because they go ahead, they, there is a, there happens to be a conveniently placed uh, guitar center truck there that uh, they open up and get all this music equipment out. Yeah, just and, like a convenience, uh, it's like the magic pocket in Cartoon Logic. Yeah. Magic special. It just happens to have everything all these people need, and... Yeah, just the specific things Jimi Hendrix needs, and like you said, yeah, it starts off as a mess. Once they actually get the song going, though, like, tell me if I'm wrong, but 
it kind of sounds like something David Byrne would do nowadays on one of his recent albums. It's just this very worldy, little bit of progressive, rocky, poppy, like, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, the song was uh, definitely a little bit of everything, um, especially with the the big woes, the whoa, you know, that's been real popular in the past decade. That's how you get it in the top 100. Yeah. Exactly. That's how you make uh, everybody get into it. Uh, and while this is going on, they're like, okay, so we need to get everyone listening and playing at the same time in all the all the history. So Bill and Ted and the princesses hop in the time machine and hand instruments to all kinds of people across history, and everyone's jamming and and, and I will say the the song is pretty good. Um, and also, I'm happy that <clears throat> the song that actually unites the world is an original, as opposed to covering a Kiss song, you know? Right. Um, so, that was really good. Uh, what a cop-out would it be if the song to unite the world was like, Give a little bit, give a little bit of your love to me. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, so I'm glad they went hardcore original. Give me two yeah, seconds. It's an instrumental too, no lyrics aside from whoa whoa. I do. I mean, I see where Dan Chase is coming from because it's such like it's a focal point of the movie. In a weird way, the song is like a MacGuffin, so you do kind of want to hear a full version of it. And it is kind of, like, barely highlighted. But I feel like it's almost like Tenacious Peach tribute, right? Like, if you actually were, there's no such thing as the greatest song in the world. Yeah. You know, I mean, you were to hear, like, and I'm sure there's an album version mm-hmm. of it. Because I know they released the soundtrack and they have that glove, that crazy progressive song on the album. So I know for a fact yeah. they would have to have this one. Yeah, that, so, technically the song that they play <clears throat> uh, with... Uh, 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 against Dave Grohl, the devil, in the movie. Technically, that is the greatest song in the world. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, and I think it's great. I think it is. I would say, you know, as far as, like, in, in Tenacious D canon, I'm like, okay, that is a pretty great fucking song. That is one of their greatest songs, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll let that be the greatest song in the world that <clears throat> stopped the devil but even to the devil in, in that movie was like, you guys are fucking lame. Come on, Cage, you're coming with me. So. <laughs> it's so funny, uh, just on a side note, in the original series, it's like the greatest song in the world was definitely Stairway to Heaven, because that's what Kyle starts fucking... Uh, yeah, he always jams Stairway to Heaven a lot in the uh, original versions of Tribute. But of course, you know, legal, going back to Robert Plant, he's like, boy, love five million dollars <clears throat> and then they give uh, they give guitars to Bill and Ted and Bill and that Ted start jamming just as bad as Keanu Reeves I apologize <laughs> yeah so they give guitars to Bill and Ted and they start jamming and then Kid Cudi doesn't get nothing to do he just zaps back to the concert yeah I was by like, the way buddy, everyone's tuning into Bill and Ted right now so they probably should have just left them there to throw in some bars yeah cause you know, no, nobody's cared about that concert from two days ago. Exactly. This is a two-day-old concert. Everybody left. And that's another thing, too. You really want to get into a top 100? You get, like, a little rap segment in there. 
And then oh. the more conservative radio stations have the version where they cut that out. You know, like it's it's a whole it's a whole fucked up uh, it's a whole fucked up system, but you can make it work. Yeah. <clears throat> and then yeah, it just kind of ends there. Uh, they say, "Yep, yeah, that's how it happened." And I like how it just bam, it's over. Like there's really it, it's simple, but for Bill and Ted, that's exactly what you want. It's like yeah, the day is saved. Yeah, and then you get like a little <clears throat> montage during the credits of people people just jamming out. The world is good now. Yeah, <laughs> there's no more problems. <laughs> I think there's like a quick cut of like Keanu Reeves with like a, a younger version of the daughters, like right before we cut the credits, or at least it looked like it, like home footage of like them playing around, and then yeah, it's just like weird TikTok footage of people dancing, and I know it's a trope end comedy movies on dancing, but it has such a feel-good vibe to it, where typically with comedy movies, it's bloopers. It's cutting to the characters doing, like, manufactured, y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here, like, stuff like that. Yeah, and they tell the they tell the robot that he can just be the dancer, and he's just like, yeah, just go over there and practice your dancing, and then it shows the robot dancing, and he's got some pretty sweet moves. He's the hype man. He's like a Justin Silverman and this Rex Viper. But, yeah. Um, I liked the movie. I think Focus Journey, I think we both agree, is probably our favorite of the trilogy. You know, the daughter's kind of bookended at the end, but that's basically it. You know, the movie's over, aside from the, uh, wait! There's the end, the end end credit sequence. So, there, there was an end credit sequence? Yeah, when you wait till the end of the trailer... At uh, the end of the trailer, the end of the credits, they do a Marvel style. It doesn't set up a sequel. It's old ass Bill and Ted back in the in the hospital room. Because there is a funny line in the movie before where it's like, "Should we go back and ask our wise older uses?" And I think Ted's like, "If they're even still alive." <laughs> so what uh, happens in this? Uh, what happens in this credit scene? They're still sitting there in like their little hospital room, and they're just fucking breathing and gagging and fucking Bill's like. Uh, are are you dead yet? And he's like, no, not yet. Um, and then they're like, there's still one more thing we have to do before we go. And these geezers get up like they're all frail. They can't even like straighten out their backs, but they grab their guitars and they just start shredding. Like, <laughs> damn, I hate I miss that. They start doing the classic build, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, that was nice, and it cuts away, like they sit back down, and then it ends. So I guess they just died. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they went out swinging. But that's the end end. But as I was going back to saying, I think we both agree, 2 is our favorite. I think 2 is like the peak creative, the peak um, filmmaking techniques. Like this is right before Alex Winter did Freak, so they were really going above and beyond with the uh, the practical effects and, like, the different scenarios. They were already playing around with that subversion of expectation. But I think, again, we said, you know, Bill and Ted 4 comes down to the fans, but I'm perfectly happy with this being the closing point. Little nudge at Clark Street. Nobody had to die. Nobody had to fucking come back as a ghost, you know. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean... They did die, but you get what I mean. Nobody had to be permanently dead, you know. Yeah, I would, I would say still my favorite is probably Bogus Journey, but this this one right here is 
is uh, is so good that it's better than the first one as well. So it's like half and half. It's like they're both they both kind of tie for me right now. Uh, whereas this movie, when 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 it comes to legacy sequels, I said with uh, when when Force Awakens came out, I said all that movie had to do was be better than the prequels, and people would have loved it. And that's all that that is all that movie needed to do, and it did it. It was better than the prequels, uh, but this movie didn't have to be better than anything. It just had to be good. And it have to be itself, which it is. Exactly. You know, and by doing that, by being, you know, by doing its own thing, it's it's hard to pick a, uh, whether I like this one more than two or two still more than this one. Like, I think this and, and Bogus Journey are pretty well tied for me. Um, and... And that's not putting anything on the first movie. The first movie, first movie's good, but there's for a movie like that. And how do you do a sequel? And and weirdly enough, they were able to get two pretty damn original sequels out of uh, out of that, uh, yeah. which is pretty damn mind blowing. So I guess that answers my question on uh, what's our favorites. How do we feel? Here's a question I've been thinking about this whole podcast. Um, you are in the telephone. Well, who are you putting together for a band? Ah, good question. Um, damn. <laughs> I, I know, I'm, I can't even really think of it, but I'm curious to see what blend you would create. I have no idea, man. I would probably... Uh... <laughs> I don't know. Really don't. Um, Comment when the, when this episode comes out. Think about it and let me know. I'd be interested to hear what kind of crazy um, super groups you could come up with. Yeah, because I I I don't yeah I'd fuck around I'd fuck around and uh, <laughs> I I don't know, dude. It's such a hard question. It's such a big question. It's like you could take anybody. Like yeah. you could have fucking. You could go back and get Tom Waits from the seventies and Bach. Right. And, and see, I wouldn't want Tom Waits from the seventies. I'd want Tom Waits now. Yeah, from the eighty or late eighties and now, Tom Waits. <laughs> right. And you know, I mean, you you can get like Kurt Cobain, uh, fucking. Amy Winehouse. Right, and, 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 uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Jim Morrison. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I would definitely get Morrison. Uh, you can get Elvis. Yeah, you get know. Elvis for the fuck of it, you know. Oh, uh, just. El Lana, a real thing. You know about that cover band where it's like Nirvana, but the lead singer is Elvis? No. But that's a real thing that's around, but I'm like, you could make Elvana for real, where you could just bring back Kurt Cobain and Elvis. So it's like, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, Dread Zeppelin? Yeah, 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 exactly. Amazing. <laughs> um, or Beatallica. Like I feel like a lot of people, yeah, I would get Clifford for sure, now that you bring that up. Right. Go back yeah. Cliff Burton and Freddie Mercury in the same room. Let's do it. Yeah, maybe Sun Ra from uh, Sun Ra's orchestra. 
Probably get him. David Bowie. See what he's up to in heaven. Yeah, they, yeah. Whole, that's a podcast on its own. Like, just <laughs> meme bands. This is like you're picking athletes in your uh, fantasy football. <laughs> fantasy band camp. Nah, dude, I'm bringing back Gigi Allen. Just to fucking bring about the end of the world. <laughs> that would make so many people mad. No, dude, yeah, exactly. Like, that's like dropping a bomb in the middle of a city if you were to bring back D.G. Allen now. <laughs> he, he'd, wind up, he'd wind up dying before anything was done. He'd he just die like again. He would Dennis in the prison. Like, people would be ganging up on him beating him up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably get, like, Hank Williams. Yeah, so I'll get Johnny Cash. Somebody that we all could gather around. Not John Lennon. Fuck him. <laughs> Maybe a Ramon or two just for good measure. Who was that? Maybe get a Ramon or two just for good measure. Sure, yeah, dude. Bring back Joey. Fuck, who was I? Bring back Lemmy. I would get Lemmy. Maybe go ahead and grab uh, grab Tupac or Biggie. Yeah, I was about to say, who are we grabbing from the rap scene? Oh, dude, I'm bringing back MCA. There you go. Fuck yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be, this is already like a Slipknot, like, band already. We have like 15 people. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll get Keith Moon. Guy, wait, there was a guy from Slipknot who died, right? We'll bring him back too. Yeah, yeah, Chad, what was it? God, what was the name? Something, was it Chad Gray? Is that, was, was that his name? I. And then Joey Jordison. I can't even remember right now. Get Joey Jordison and Keith Moon and have them do a uh, drum off. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So again, please let us know. Let's add to this army of resurrected stars. Yeah, hell yeah. So what's coming up next, people, is we are gonna do a Rob Zombie retrospective, and we're gonna try and have most of it done throughout the rest of this month and next month, corresponding with Halloween. Things have been pretty crazy just with my work schedule, but things are getting a little better. Time is opening up, and honestly, I'm in a Rob Zombie mood. I saw him live with Alice Cooper not long ago, and not just to get ready for the concert, but also after the concert. I've just gone down the Rob Zombie rabbit hole again. Yes. Yeah. October, I watched a lot of his movies again, so I was already in the mood to talk about it then. I'm even more in the mood to talk about it now. So we'll, like I said, we're going to work towards getting it out all throughout October. Yeah, and about a week ago, I had listened to every White Zombie and every Rob Zombie album uh, throughout the whole week. <laughs> You've done a Speaker Brains on him, right? Uh, we did a Speaker Brains on <clears throat> White and Rob Zombie and his movies, uh, but... We did all the movies in one go, uh, and this was year, this might have been like ten years ago, but so uh, we did all the movies. We talked about all the movies within an hour or so. We just kind of skimmed through them. We didn't do it like you and I do, where we just kind of walk through the movie. Uh, which is that's why I want to do this with the Rob Zombie movies because I'm like more movies have come out since then. I think at the time. Lords of Salem was his most recent movie when we did that. 
And um, he's done dropped like what three more movies since then, two more movies, and um, and hell, I wouldn't mind doing another full-on retro of his music because at the time I had not heard any White Zombie before Los Exorcisto and the most recent Rob album at the time was Venomous Rat Regeneration Vendor. So there's been, uh, I have a little more knowledge on the before uh, Los Exorcisto as well as there's been, what, two or three more albums since Re, uh, Rat Regeneration, maybe two more albums. Yeah, and his last album was really good. Okay. Um, I think that would be, if you do decide to do the White Zombie one again, that would be a cool, like, if we could do it, me, you, maybe Zach, like, that would be sick. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I want to do more Speaker Brains. We've teased, like, the Boingo cast for a while, so if I'm ever to come back to Speaker Brains, it'll probably be Oingo Boingo first. Oh, but yeah. I was also texting Travis today that I have basically, like, mainlined Danzig to, Danzig to the main. Like, I've just listened to all of his stuff within, like, a week. And I have a lot to talk about because I'm a huge Misfits fan. Like, that, is, Misfits is a seminal band for me, especially as, like, the Halloween time is coming back around. Yeah. So, somewhere in the line, a Danzig retrospective would be awesome. I'd love to catch up on... I haven't listened to all of Rob Zombie's White Zombie's albums, but I am a very big fan. I love all the hits. So that would be cool to go through. Um, who knows how far this Rob Zombie uh, uh, retrospective is going to go, or if we, you know... Hopefully we can get the Lords of Salem, because I need to catch up on his latter movies. I think El Super Bisto is the last one that I've seen. Hopefully, I don't know if we'll do a whole episode on El Super Beats, though, but that'd be nice to throw in a mini-review. Maybe do, like, two reviews in one. We're still trying to figure out how we're going to crank this out in the Halloween season, but we want it to be in the Halloween season. So, um, with this time opening up for me, it should be, uh, it should work perfectly. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Uh, I always try to wait for enough cobwebs to enter the basement before we come back in again. True that. So we could probably try and shoot for next Sunday to do House of a Thousand Corpses. Hello? Yo. Can you hear me? Did we uh, break up for a second? Uh, I heard a weird beep. Yeah, I heard a weird beep, but did you uh, hear what I was saying, though? Uh, say it again, just in case. I was just saying that it's like we're going to do our best to uh, fit this into the Halloween season because we want it to come out in the Halloween season with the opening, with uh, the time that's opening up for me. Should work out perfectly. Um, like, we might have to squeeze two reviews in one. We're still trying to work out on what we're going to do for it. And I mentioned that the last uh, Rob Zombie movie that I'm caught up with Oh, shit. Is El Super Beast, though? Yeah. Yeah, so we heard all that. So, but yeah, maybe next Sunday we can work on uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. I, I think it might be my side that's fucking with the connection because it's raining a little hard here, so I think, like, the storm just rolled in and fucked with Skype. Um, I'm not sure if this is where we, we cut off the podcast. I was basically just talking about how we're going to 
do the retrospective into October. We're going to try to squeeze it all in. Yeah, even if towards the Salem. Even if we can't finish uh, all of them and, and we run into November, it's totally cool. But I was just I was just saying maybe next Sunday we can start on House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah, I would think that. I'm ready to get going because I'm actually I've been holding off on rewatching it. Um, I've been in the mood to watch the zombie movies, um, but I was waiting for like right before because that's when the note taking is the best. Like you got to do it like right when it's fresh in your memory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do all that. The images just blend together. All right. But all right, y'all, we're gonna get out of here. Sounds good. We'll catch you guys in the next basement episode. Stay tuned. We'll keep you updated. Make sure to keep involved with the Facebook page, uh, the Benjamin Fresh from the Facebook group. Um, that's where we do the posts right beforehand. We also post on the Dark Discussions podcast page. Um, we also post on our own uh, Facebook pages. Uh, basically inviting you to do the same thing, to join the discourse, give us your thoughts. We always like to start the show on what you guys think, because it's always a good uh, jumping-off point for the conversations. So stay tuned, get involved. We love to hear what you have to say. Hell yeah. So we'll see y'all later. Later.